You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Claire's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What is up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 194. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Got a great show for you today. One of the first authors I've had on my book and on my podcast in a while, Kate Stamen London, the author of One to Watch, a book that you've heard me promote a little bit uh, on my Instagram Live with Ashley Spivey. If some of you were able to join the Zoom call last Tuesday that we did with Kate and with a lot of you people that were just interested in talking about it, it was part of Ashley's book club. That was a lot of fun. Really get into it with Kate Stamen London uh, in a minute. All right, there's obviously a lot to talk about in regards to Bachelorette Land. I am recording this open um, Wednesday afternoon or mid-evening, so stuff might break between the time I record this and the time you listen to it and it posts on Thursday morning. So just know that I'm recording this part of the podcast on Wednesday, uh, the day before you listen to this. Assuming you listen on a Thursday when I release it. But... So much is going on right now, and there aren't a lot of definitive answers. So the first thing I want to get out of the way is what I tweeted out yesterday in regards to Claire and the hate that she's getting for a lot of people coming after her. Look, if you want to come after her because you don't like her or you don't like her being getting a fifth chance or stuff like that, that's not what I'm arguing. That's an opinion that you're allowed to have, clearly. What I was trying to make in my Twitter thread yesterday was the people that are coming after her for her tweet back in June telling the guys to respect the process and respect her you know respect the rules and whatnot and because it's on Twitter I did I can't just sit here and write out every single thing that I'm talking about but I thought I made it pretty clear I guess some people were a little still confused basically I'm talking about When Claire was talking about respect the rules, it was more about, look, don't go promoting yourself before you're even on the season. Because this is, we're in weird times. This is the first time that a cast was released before, well, it was released and then there was COVID that shut everything down. So they were able to go back to their normal lives. Usually the cast is released and filming starts a couple days later. These guys' phones are off. These women's phones are off and there's nothing they can do. Claire was clearly talking about Matt James having a cameo account and putting the word bachelor on it when he hadn't even appeared on the show yet. So there was that. And so that's where it gets a little bit tricky with wording. My whole point was she's getting a lot of hate and a lot of shit because of like these so-called rules. Like, oh my God, she broke the rules. She was totally talking to a guy before the show. It's just like, look, there are no rules when it comes to this show. Let's be honest. There are basic fundamentals of what the show is about, but there are no rules. And if there are, they're broken every single season, usually by because production allows those rules to be broken. You know, if Claire wanted to talk to Claire, <laughs> Claire wanted to talk to Claire. If Claire wanted to talk to Dale preseason, it's not like every other bachelor or bachelorette before her stuck by the rules and, and, and abided by that. And Claire didn't. So that makes her a rule breaker. None of the other 39 previous leads had the ability to do that. It's because of COVID. COVID shut everything down, made this season a complete shit show. It's not going to be the same Bachelorette that we're used to. It's going to be very different this season. So Claire decided to take this show into her own hands. And it's almost like, look, if you're sick of production constantly, what have we heard over the years from fans? Oh, production does this. Production makes you do this, which they do. Here is someone essentially empowering herself and making it like, no, they're not going to direct me on what to do. I'm going to tell them this is how I want it. And they seriously, they clearly negotiated something because she is now with Dale and engaged, if you are to believe the report, which I believe to be true, and ended her own bachelorette season after two weeks. If anything, shouldn't she be applauded for this? Why is she getting hate? Because here's where where I think you could give her hate. 
if after two weeks she did this with Dale, got engaged, and the whole filling was shut down, and everyone was out of a job, these people that thought they had a job for eleven for five or six weeks are out of a job after two weeks. That's not what happened. You made the producer scramble. You made them think they get a new bachelorette in there in Tasha. Tasha's seemingly going to take over, have her own bachelorette season. It's a win-win for everyone around. This season starts airing in five weeks, and this is all any entertainment site is talking about. This is all the blaze on social media right now. That's all anyone's talking about is this show and what's going on, and oh my gosh, Hannah Ann's there, and Becca's there, and all that stuff, which we'll get to in a second. So if anything, this should be an empowering thing for Claire. I don't know why she's getting hate. I understand that a lot of the traditionalists on the show just think, oh, this should be about meeting one guy and giving everyone a chance and stuff like that. Look, she was put in a position that no other Bachelor lead has been able to be in before. She was able to know guys on her cast before her season started filming. She knew 32 of them back in March. She came home. Clearly, I think she did an interview on Rachel and Becca's podcast and said, yeah, I've looked them up. I'd be stupid not to. But now, I think the fact that we know that she's engaged to Dale after two weeks of filming, clearly she was speaking to with Dale pre-show. And it was more, I don't think it was just, hey, can't wait to see you on my season. And he responds back, yeah, looking forward to meeting you too. I, it's clear that they were talking and things got a little bit deep. And if you read some of the stories that are out on, on People or Us Weekly, it's been hinted at that. Claire was smitten on night one and she went into the show basically already in love with Dale and no one else stood a chance. And it basically wasn't fair to the other guys to have Claire as their bachelorette. Doesn't mean it's not fair to have someone else as the bachelorette. Cause remember Tasha was also being considered for the bachelorette as well as Claire. So when they're going through casting, we know this show, the cast that is eventually settled upon for whoever lead it is, whatever lead it is, it's not the 30 most like perfectly chosen people for that particular person. They're casting a TV show. So if they're filming and they're going through casting before the season and Claire and Tasha and Tia are three of the women that were up for the gig, they probably had a mix of guys in there that, hey, if we end up going with Tia, here's a group of guys that would probably like Tia. If we end up going with Claire, here's a group of guys that would like Claire. Same thing for Tasha. Well, now Tasha's your girl. Now Tasha's your bachelorette. So I guarantee there are guys there that they cast for Tasha or thought would be a good fit for Tasha. So, and I don't think any of those guys, not that they were anti Claire, but I'm sure when they're now told, hey, Tasha's going to take over and be the bachelorette, I'm sure they're like, yeah, cool. I'm down with that. I doubt very few are going to be like, no, I'm bouncing. See ya. I don't want Tasha. I'm sure those guys are cool about staying around and, and, I think they would have been more upset if Claire left with Dale after two weeks and they just sent everyone home and said, all right, that's the show. Bye. That would have been a little more on Claire. But I see this as as more of almost as a good thing. It's almost like contestants are now kind of taking back a little bit of power from the show because we know the show is highly manipulated and it's done behind the scenes and people are told to say things and do certain things. And now here's Claire saying, look, I found my guy. Yeah, I was speaking to him pre-show. And I don't need to put on a fake show for you guys. You really want me to go through with this? You really want me to go on dates with guys I have no interest in? Probably not. And clearly something was negotiated where it was like, okay, what do we do? And Claire says stance was essentially, I'm not filming anymore, so you figure it out. And put them on their toes, and they had to figure it out. And that's where they came to. And tasha has been brought in as the bachelorette. So let's ease up on Claire the hate on Claire just because she broke some sort of rules that weren't even rules. There was no rules. The minute COVID came in and postponed her season, throw all rules out the window. And like I said in my tweet, unless when COVID came in and everyone was sent home, producers strictly told her, you are absolutely 100% not allowed to talk to anybody. And if any of your guys contact you, you immediately have to report him to us. We don't know. My guess is that's not what happened. My guess is they didn't tell her anything and just let things play out as they did, and here we are. I don't think they would tell her not to do that, not not in, during COVID. I think they just probably said nothing because uh, I don't think they told her to do it as well either. I think they just said nothing, and, um, and that's where we're at. So that's uh, on the Claire front. Now, the reports are that Becca Kufrin is there, and so is Hannah Ann. There's pictures of Hannah Ann there, and Becca Kufrin has been discovered as being in a, in a little bungalow or a casita there that's on the site. 
she's definitely there, and so is Be- uh, Hannah Ann. Why they are there? Immediately, speculation turned to well, maybe they had their they're going to have a four week season of Claire's season, and then they're going to go into Bachelor in Paradise. And so it's like, well, for Bachelor in Paradise, yeah, you've got guys there, but you have two girls there, Tasha and Hannah Ann. And as far as I know, you would need six to eight more girls to bring in to have those guys that are left date those girls. And no, they're not going half Bachelorette, half Bachelor in Paradise season. There's no other women there other than those two. I've he- I'm hearing reports of Jared and Ashley there, Wells heading down there. Those are not single people, so that has nothing to do with Bachelor in Paradise. I really think these people are going down just for helping out stuff, whether it's with the guys or whether it's with Tasha as the Bachelorette. I don't think we're having a double Bachelorette season with Hannah Ann and Tasha. Becca certainly is not any part of any Bachelorette season. She hasn't even publicly broken up with her fiancé yet. Do you really think she's jumping into a Bachelorette season as a lead? No. Is she jumping into a possible Bachelor in Paradise season when she hasn't even broken up publicly with her fiancé? No. So I don't know why Becca Kufrin is there. I really don't know why Hannah Ann is there, but I think people are wanting it to be this big, massive thing, and I think it's nothing more than they're there to lend support. And, well, why did she have a big briefcase? Why did she have a big suitcase? Well, because anybody that goes into that bubble has to quarantine for a week before they start doing anything. So maybe Hannah just, you know, needed to bring eight sundresses to 115-degree heat out in the desert. I don't know. But I don't know the answers. Like I said, there's no definitive answers right now. Nobody has any definitive answers of anything. But I think I've I, I, I know this show pretty well, and I know it well enough to know that they're not doing a double bachelorette. They're not doing a bachelor in paradise season. Every single outlet, E, ET, Us Weekly, Life and Style, they're all reported. Tasha is the new bachelorette. I don't think all four media outlets would be that off if there was a double bachelorette season. They wouldn't have said it, and they wouldn't have all reported it. And you also got to remember something. Lauren Zima is the mouthpiece for entertainment tonight when it comes to Bachelor, Bachelorette reporting. E.T. Is, was the first one to put it out there, I believe. Hey, Claire is out. Tasha is the new Bachelorette. Lauren Zima is the girlfriend of the host of the show. She's not going to put out any wrong information. She's not ever going to put out negative information. And she's certainly never going to put out any misleading information. Trust me on that. So... If you want to take one of the media outlets and say who's the most credible, it'd probably be E.T. considering the leader of that news source for their Bachelor and Bachelorette information is Lauren Zima, who's the girlfriend of the host of the show. So she's never going to do anything negative about the show, ever. She's also not going to put out any misleading information to try and trick the audience, nor is she going to put out something that's just flat out wrong. So... Everyone's saying Tasha's the Bachelorette. Every Bachelor person saying on social media, congrats to Tasha. can't wait to see you. They wouldn't be saying that if there was some double Bachelorette coming or something like that. It's just, I can't tell you I know what the answer is for why Becca and Hannah Ann are there, but I don't think it's what people think it is. I think it's just more of they're there for to help out and to talk to people and maybe, you know, help Tasha through this, so... Or even the guys through this. So I think I think that's where we're at. But like I said, recording this on Wednesday, something could break Wednesday night. And, you know, things change. But um, I will, hopefully nothing does. And uh, keep it on my Twitter and my Instagram story and my Instagram feed. That's where I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff. I do have a, a, a column up today that is basically the written version of what I just said for people that have been... Um, saying they don't read Twitter, they're not Instagram people. You know, it is tough because we are in 2020. And unfortunately, if you're not on Twitter or you don't have an Instagram account and you don't follow Instagram stories, I'm sorry, you are missing out on stuff. It's a lot easier for me, a hell of a lot easier for me to when I get some information sent to me, whether it's in a phone call or an email or a DM to immediately just tweet that out rather than run to my website and put a post up, especially if it's only something that's two sentences long. That's what Twitter is for. Or maybe a few sentences, and I do two or three tweets, and then I just screenshot those and put them in my Instagram story. It's just it's so much easier that way. Um, we will be getting back to normal programming once the Bachelor at starts, but uh, for the time being, you know, it's just much easier to go that way. When Claire season slash Tasha season starts airing in September, 
we're back to normal. Probably going to have reader emails on Tuesdays. The recap's going to be on Wednesdays because the show's airing on Tuesdays, and then the podcast on Thursdays. We're back to normal, and I, I know that people think, oh, trust me, I've been getting emails and DMs all the time. Why don't you write anymore? This is ridiculous. It's like, look, this is I'm still giving you everything I can just in a different form for right now because it's easier. If I have two sentences to write, I, when, when have I ever on my website put a post up that was two or three sentences long? Ever? No. You know, you have a, at least a full page of stuff. And if I just have a tweet to put out, there's no reason to go to my site. That's why you've got to follow me on Twitter at Reality Steve and Instagram at Reality Steve. You're just going to get stuff easier that way. And um, we'll kind of work on it from there. So let's get started with uh, the podcast. Uh, it's Kate Stamen London. She wrote the book One to Watch. It is basically the idea of what if they had a plus size bachelorette. So her show in the book is called Main Squeeze. There's a blogger named B who's a plus size model or a plus size blogger and um, talks about the show with her girlfriends every week, writes about it on her blog. And then the production team comes to her and says, we'd love for you. This is going to be our twist. We want to have a plus size bachelorette. And then just all the shenanigans that go along with it. And it's a very, very interesting read. Here's what I did for the podcast for those that don't want to be spoiled. The first 30 minutes of the podcast with Kate are me talking with Kate without spoilers. The only thing we spoil is the name of the lead, which is B and her producer, Lauren. We don't talk about anything that gives anything away. And then when we were 30 minutes in, I was like, man, this is tough. <laughs> I didn't even think about this beforehand. This wasn't planned. It was just like we were 30 minutes in. I was like, this is this is tough. I, I, I want to talk about the spoilers. So she's like, why don't we? I said, okay. So about 30 minutes in, you'll hear us immediately switch gears. And for the next 15 minutes, we talk about the book. So if you have read it, you can continue to uh, listen from there because she gives insight to why she wrote the motivation behind the characters, the motivation of why she ended the book the way she did, um, and any thoughts we have going forward for possible sequels and stuff like that. So if you haven't read the book, I would go get it and listen to the first 30 minutes. And then once we start talking about spoilers, if you don't want to be spoiled, then just shut the podcast off at that point. But if you've read the book, I know you probably liked it. This will be a great podcast for you. Kate was great to have on. I, I love the fact that she threw a reality Stefan in her book. And there was actually more that was supposed to be a reality Stefan that got um, deleted in the final draft, which I'm very bummed about. But anyway, great podcast guest. And if you heard me on my Sunday night show, you knew that I have a pretty big guest coming up. That's going to happen next week. I haven't recorded it yet, but we're set to record on Tuesday. And it's going to be a very interesting interview. I guarantee you. Trust me on this. It's someone that um, I'm not going to tell you whether it's a guy or a girl, and it's someone that you probably wouldn't expect to be on my podcast. I wouldn't have expected it, but it's happened, and it's going to happen, and that'll be the podcast next week, barring something crazy, and we don't record on Tuesday. But uh, trust me, you will all be interested in this one as I am. So without any further ado, let's get going. Kate Stamen London, the author of One to Watch for podcast number 194. All right, let's bring her in. She is the author of a book called One to Watch. It came out at the beginning of July, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, but we'll get we'll get clarification on that in just a moment. It is Kate Stamen London. Kate, how are you? I'm doing so well, Steve. How are you? I'm good. When was the actual release of your book? July 7th. Okay. So for those that don't know, One to Watch is a book that is essentially um, a parody. I don't know if a parody is the right word, but it is a book that is written about a reality TV show with a suitor who is a plus size woman named B who is on a show called main squeeze. And she has X amount of suitors basically in the vein of the bachelor and the bachelorette franchise, because you, as I have found out, or a big fan of the show, a super fan of the show, actually. You've watched a lot of the season. So I want you to, first off, explain to people where and when the concept of this idea for writing this book came to you. Yeah, so it was actually, it was early 2017, and I had actually worked as the lead digital writer for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, and after that was back in LA where I had been writing before the campaign and was trying to figure out 
what to do next with my life and was thinking about a lot of different ideas. And uh, that was Nick Vial's season of The Bachelor. And I'm a big Nick fan. And I was watching that season as I watch pretty much every season. And it was the night of his finale. And I was watching it. And suddenly the idea just kind of hit me like a bolt of thunder. What if a plus size woman was The Bachelorette? And it was such a simple idea. But kind of the more I thought about it, the more rich the story possibilities were. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I stayed up until two o'clock in the morning that night writing just like a little proposal for my agent. I sat down and wrote the first chapter that weekend and we sold it two months later. Yeah, it's it's such a good read. And um, I I Ashley Spivey was the one that turned me on to this and then said, hey, I've got a Zoom call with the author. We want to be on it. And I said, yeah, send me the book. And I finished it in four hours. It's about 417 pages, I believe, 419 maybe. Um, anyway, yeah, 417 pages. You're a faster pages. reader than I am. Yeah, uh, 417 pages. I read it in four hours. I was hooked from the very beginning. And as I said on the Zoom call this Tuesday night, this past Tuesday night, um, you know, look, I am not a guy that reads at all. I don't read books that aren't sports-related or written by someone in Bachelor Nation because those are the only books I've read recently. I literally was going in my head, what is the last, you know, non-sports, non-gambling related or non-book written by a Bachelor contestant that I read or media related? And I honestly couldn't think of one. I I, I, I want to say, even though this was media related, it was Desperate Networks. And that was written. 20, oh, I've read that book. I loved that book. <laughs> but that was also 20 years ago or something like that. 15 years ago. Totally. Yeah. So that like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by John Carter. Right. Is that his name? John Carter. I believe that's his I name. I would have to look it up. I read it in graduate school. Okay. Yeah. Great book. <laughs> really interesting book behind the scenes about television shows and how they get brought to networks and stuff like that. But I want to say that was the last book I read. And, um, but this one was, you know, obviously I cover the bachelor, cover the bachelorette, very easy to get into this book. And, you know, we talked about a lot of this stuff, but I want to, for people that didn't, weren't on the zoom call, obviously want to go over some things that we talked about. So you said it started in 2017 during next season. And this idea of having a plus size bachelorette who this character B is a, is a blogger. She's a beauty blogger and the networks come to her and because she writes about the show was always critical about the show. And uh, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but essentially that's the, the premise of the show. Plus size bachelorette, something that we've never seen on this show. We don't even see plus size contestants, let alone the lead of this show. So that was probably a major thing for you is selling this as believable since the people who follow this show don't see plus size people at all. Totally. And I think maybe it was Bob Guinea's season that there was one quote unquote plus size model who got eliminated the first night and she was like a size 10. And it was just like, oh, cool. You, you threw us a bone there, ABC. Thanks for that one. Um, but I think, you know, a big part of the way I wanted to write this book was to think about, well, so much of what we love about The Bachelorette and The Bachelor is sort of the aspirational wish fulfillment quality of it. But what would it actually be like if you're a person who doesn't look like every single person in Bachelor Nation and conform to these ridiculous beauty standards? What would people on the internet say about you? What would columnists say about you and bloggers and everybody else, um, let alone your own insecurities and the people in your life? So it was so interesting for me to kind of explore from the inside and the outside what that would look like if it were actually to happen. Yeah, and it's really a fascinating look because it's something that us fans who are fans of this show and watch the show religiously just don't see. And this and this got brought up on the Zoom call. I forgot to ask you this, and it was never brought up when once you came on, was we know that B is plus size. Do we ever get an actual... Like, is she just bigger for the average girl on The Bachelor, or was she someone that... Do we have a plus size on B? Do we have a size? Did you ever break down a size of her on this in the book? I can't remember if we ever got one. So the terminology that I use in the book is medium fat, which is terminology that's used within the fat acceptance and plus size community. Um, and what that means is around a size 20 to a 24. But to give it an actual number, sizes look so different from brand to brand and even person to person. So that was the terminology that I went with because it's really that's what's used in the community. Okay, so the idea of coming up with this book and coming up with this concept, you had to find 
X amount of suitors for her. Uh, and as someone who's read the book and you see the book, as you're reading it, you're just trying to compare her suitors to former guys that have been on the show. Like, oh, wow, was she was she molding him after this guy? Was she molding him after this guy? So explain to people how you did the character development on the guys that were pursuing B on the show Main Squeeze. I had so much fun uh, writing The Men because uh, obviously as a huge Bachelorette fan, there are just so many interesting people in the history of the franchise to choose from. And so what I did actually was I sat on my living room floor with a pile of index cards and I wrote out sort of different tropes that we've seen over the season, which is sort of like the exuberant younger guy or the virgin or the snotty academic guy or the sexy foreigner. And then I started thinking about, okay, well, what are the versions of this that we've seen already? And then how can I sort of turn that on its head or show it to you in a different, more exciting way than maybe what we've seen on the show before? And did you have, I mean, you don't have to name the characters in the book, but did you have a mashup of guys that were on previous seasons that ended up being one of your characters on the show can you name guys from the franchise you're like yeah i kind of kind of patterned <laughs> this guy in the book about uh, after him well i told you i'm a nick vial fan and there's definitely he had uh, especially i think he he sort of got over it in his later seasons but in his earlier appearances um with andy and caitlin he had like a little bit of smugness about him that i always thought where where he he a little bit like felt like he was maybe a little too good for where he was. Um, and I always loved, I thought that was such an interesting sort of character tick of his. Um, so I, I used that for one of the characters in the book. And then um, Eric from Rachel's season, he had just such like a, a pure and loving energy about him where he was sort of discovering his own personal growth as he was on the show. And I, I loved, there, there's just such a purity and a joy about him. And that was something that I thought, you know, in a book where there are going to be a lot of twists and turns and a lot of drama, I wanted to have at least one of the characters. And um, I really have a couple of them who have that really joyful energy that Eric brought. Was it tough writing the B character uh, as a lead of this show and the things that she was thinking? Because when I'm reading this and I'm sitting here and I'm reading the book and again, never having experienced this show, having any sort of women who were, you know, let alone size 20 or 22, let alone probably size 10. I mean, I don't know how many, I mean, like I said, I don't know how many women size at work, women sizes work in particular, but you know, B's character is really pretty deep about, the way she feels about herself, the way she feels about how other people perceive her. Um, was it difficult to write for B or was it something where it was like, you know what? This is the way I want to see. I want to see other people look at how plus size people view themselves and view how other people view them. Yeah. You know, one piece of feedback that I've gotten from a lot of readers that I really appreciate is they say, you know, often when I read books about plus size protagonists, they just have to be, you know, a total tough boss, super confident, never doubt themselves, never have insecurities. And with B, they felt that they really related to her so much because sure, she, she is tough. She is a boss. She is, you know, a career woman who has the confidence and bravery to go and star on a television show. But like, that doesn't mean she's not going to face terrible insecurities, especially, you know, I think dating and falling in love is something that can bring up anyone's insecurities, let alone doing it, you know, with a camera crew following your every move and millions of people watching and commenting on you and commenting on your body. So for me, the only way to tell the story, honestly, was to sort of look at both sides of that coin, both her confidence and her insecurities, and sort of look at how could the experience of being on the show be an opportunity for her to grow and become a little bit more secure in who she is and care less about what other people think of her. And, you know, that's someone who has covered the show as long as I have and talked about the insides of the show that not a lot of people see on a weekly basis every Monday night for two hours. You definitely dive into that aspect of the show where um, you have a character in there that is a producer that is kind of leading is Lee is B's lead producer throughout the whole show who is doing things and saying things that are just like, wow, you know, stuff that I've written about over, over the years. I'm like, yeah, this is, this hits the nail on the head of everything that I've heard that kind of goes on behind the scenes. Um, 
you obviously have, you know, you've never worked on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, but you've obviously read and heard things over the years to make you create these characters that you did kind of like in the unreal fashion, the, the television show that uh, was a parody of The Bachelor and Bachelorette. Um, did you did you kind of take that as inspiration as well? Definitely. And actually, Unreal is I'm really glad you brought that up as um, kind of a counterpoint, because Unreal, I think, is so much about that kind of manipulation that happens behind the scenes. And it's not really about the thing that I love most about the show, which is that like every so often you really and truly get to see two people fall in love and meet the person they're going to be with for the rest of their lives. And I think about like Jason and Molly and what that was like seeing him like say goodbye to her and then get back together with her or Ashley H and um, JP going on their first date and knowing that like, Oh my God, they're going to be married and have kids one day because of this show so that like that sort of behind the scenes of what is it actually like to fall in love in a situation like this where you do have people manipulating you and you do have so many different agendas sort of all playing out at the same time that was what I was really interested in and I really the character of the the main producer Lauren she was the hardest to write because I wanted to write a really rich three-dimensional character. So it's not just that she's manipulative and she's a producer. Like, sure, those things are true. But she also kind of, like, sees herself as a feminist and sees casting B as, like, like, this cool feminist thing to do. And that's true, too. So, again, just trying to find the sort of the more nuanced things that maybe we haven't gotten to see as much um, in, in other things about The Bachelor. One of the major characters of this show or of this book is a guy called Reality Stefan. No, just kidding. Not, just, <laughs> not a major, not a major character. However, you do reference the fact that this is a television show, main squeeze. Um, but the the you, you reference a guy named Reality Stefan who, in the past, has spoiled main squeeze on numerous occasions. So this producer Lauren is trying to pull one over on everybody, and even says she doesn't want that motherfucker Reality Steve to uh, spoil this little surprise that they have, which is we're going to name uh, this plus size woman as our bachelorette, whatever you want to, you know, the, the main character. Um, so again, I really appreciate the fact that you, <laughs> you, you threw that in there and I got, um, uh, I got a, men- a mention in a, in a book that I'm sure is going to be a New York times bestseller. I am just elated. And I had so many people sending it to me before Ashley even told me about one to watch was, Hey, you're in this book. Like, I think it's, this is you. And I'm like, Oh, all the more reason to read it. And, um, can we, can we, can we do a sequel to this book where we just dive into, uh, <laughs> reality Stefan's life? What it was like Yeah, one to watch too. reality Stefan. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's, that, that's what the people are crying yeah, out for. Certainly. I'm yeah. getting DMS about it every day. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it was, it was a funny reference that you brought up. Um, <laughs> And there are references to even other people in the franchise, the host, the creator, stuff like that. Uh, the creator of Main Squeeze is a guy named Micah Faust, which is, uh, you know, pretty funny. <laughs> uh, pretty similar to another person who created a, a dating show. Yeah, who's to, as it says on the copyright page, all, all similarities to persons living or dead are purely coincidental. Purely so. coincidental, yeah. No, I. It was. A, it's a great reference. And the, the other thing that you do that's really fun um, – was the fact that as the show is going on, the one th- the one thing that your main squeeze television show within this book is different of how The Bachelor airs is that main squeeze is something that is done on a weekly basis. Like they film Monday through Sunday and then Monday the following Monday's episode is what happened in the previous week, almost like in a Big Brother realm. So that made you able to have a few liberties with things. Is that something that you o- you openly thought about? Yeah, so actually, in the first draft, I wrote it where it was like The Bachelor, where it was all filmed, you know, in sort of March and April, and then it airs in May and June. And I had this like very elaborate spreadsheet (laughs) that was like, this is the week that this chapter is being filmed. And this is when it would air. And these are the days and it was so confusing. And my editor was like, I beg of you, Kate find a better way to do this. Um, And it just so happened that at that time, I had just started watching Love Island UK for the first 
first time. Um, and on that show, they're airing episodes every single day of like what happened yesterday is, is on TV today. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. So maybe, you know, I think it probably uh, strains credulity a little bit that they could really, because on Love Island, obviously they're all in, you know, one house for the whole summer and they're not taking the production crew on the road and adding in travel time and union breaks and everything like that. Um, but so it, it might not be true that The Bachelor could really film the way that we see The Bachelor on a week to week basis in that, that way. But I figured it's fiction. This, this feels like something I can get away with that'll make it a little easier to follow. And also it makes it, I think, a little more immediate and, and exciting to be like, oh, man, she's going on this date on Wednesday and it's going to be on TV on Monday. And so for some characters that can really up the stakes when they know that the people in their lives are going to see what just happened. And another thing that you added to it was the fact that because the show is basically airing in real time, only on a, on a week delay, you have instant feedback from the audience and things can go a certain way. And a producer is telling people in the, in the book, Hey, this is working well. This isn't working well. People are going to believe this. People aren't going to believe that. Um, that was also an interesting trope to add it as well as you writing as a blogger who's commenting on a show that's currently airing in real time. Is this confusing to people out there? I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> because uh, it's like the best thing to say is like, really go read the book because it's uh, it's a really fascinating read. And if you, like I said on the zoom call the other night, if you watch the bachelor and bachelorette and you have any, look, I'm a guy that doesn't read and I like the book. So I was going to say, if you have any semblance to liking to read books, you being a fan of this franchise, you will absolutely love this book. Um, I also think that there are so many things when I think of this franchise that is wrong with it. We, we talk about the diversity that's going on, that this campaign that's been started about it. We just don't see plus size women on this show. Hell, we don't even see plus size guys on this show. When you think about it. Yeah. Uh, there's no sure. plus size people. So, do you think, and I know this came up in the Zoom call the other night, do you think this is something to where this could be the start of something and maybe the show reads your book, sees the reaction to your book about why aren't there more plus-size people in this franchise and it and it adds to it? Or do you just think this is Hollywood and they're not used to something like this and this would be too far off the beaten path for them? I mean, I think what we've seen time and time again is that people in Hollywood, first and foremost, are interested in making money. And so, you know, they're not not putting plus size people or fat people on the show because they think that it's a terrible idea. They're doing it because they think they'd lose audiences and that audiences wouldn't be interested in watching it, and that they would lose money. If the producers had an idea or the network had an idea and public pressure is certainly a good way to give them that idea, that audiences are interested in seeing themselves reflected, right? And we're not talking about a minority of people, two thirds of American women wear size 14 and above, but we have a franchise that says, sorry guys, you don't even exist as far as we're concerned. So if we're hearing from audiences in the same way, and obviously I don't want to equate size representation with race representation. They're two different issues that have two different historical contexts. Um, but, you know, I think seeing the pressure that the Batch Diversity campaign has created, and I'm a big supporter of that campaign, I think that it's important for people to say, you know, across, you know, disability communities and gender identities and LGBTQ identities to say that we would like to see ourselves represented on screen. And I think it's totally appropriate for audiences to say, hey, we're the ones that you're making money off of. And it's important that you hear our voices on these issues. How long did it take you to write the book? Oh, um, about two and a half years, I would wow. say, from soup to nuts. Okay, so when you're writing a book, I've clearly never written a book in my life. You're obviously having all these ideas and you're thinking it's going to go one way or maybe another way. The ending that you did end up with in this book, was that always something you were building towards or did it change as you were writing it? Uh, the ending was the same from basically uh, the word go. I when I sold the book, I sold it on proposal. So I had written three chapters and a detailed outline of the entire plot summary where I went through kind of episode by episode, all the twists and turns and almost everything from that original outline stayed the same. Hmm. It was funny. Some of the stuff we had to change, like there's a character in the book who initially uh, I had scripted in the outline that he had a secret 
secret girlfriend and that that comes out and that's a big twist and that's when he gets sent home and then as I was writing the first draft Rachel's season was airing and that happened with Demario and my editor was like I think we have to change this so it happened a few different times that specific things that I had written would then happen in real life and then we'd have to change them but in terms of the ending and sort of the bigger plot points those were all the same from the beginning wow okay yeah I didn't know how that worked I didn't know if there was certain characters that as you're writing them you're like no you know what I want this person to end up with B or I want this person to end up with B like, <laughs> because when I'm reading the book and I'm not going to give away spoilers to this uh, I don't want to that's why we haven't even revealed names or anything like that other than the main character B and her producer Lauren and reality Stefan of course um, I don't think um, as I, as I was reading it I was the way you wrote it and the way you were writing the audience was responding to it. I didn't really know where you were headed with the ending of the show. I didn't know who B was going to end up with, if she was going to end up with somebody, how it was going to work. Um, what would be her reasoning for why she would pick some guy? Um, yeah, it was, it was really, I, you know, almost some, I mean, it was a mystery to me. It was a, you could file yeah. this under mystery in <laughs> bookshelves. Well, that was- part of you know how I sort of there there are certainly a lot of elements of suspense in the book but it is also a little bit of a who's here for the right reasons mystery and kind of B is doing some you know romantic detective work trying to figure out who is actually interested in her versus who's just trying to get famous and be on television which I think is something we've seen that a lot of the leads of this show have had to do and I actually I reference Ashley Haber's season a lot because that happened to her in such a big way on her season and that was really influential to me um, and how I created this. Um, But the thing that did change as I was writing was sort of as I got to know the characters better, my opinions of them would change and the way I wrote them would get a little more complicated. So like there's one man who was supposed to be the villain. He He was intended to be the villain of the book. And the more I wrote him, I really loved him. And there was so much about him that I thought was really interesting and complicated. And he does a terrible thing, but he still ended up being a character that I really loved. And so B really loved him. And then there was one character who was supposed to be the hero of the book. He was supposed to be Prince Charming. But the more I wrote him, the more it was like, well, he's had a lot of shit in his past that makes him kind of an insecure and jealous person. And that's going to be a real problem for him and B. And so that's going to be something they're going to have to overcome. So while the like actual plot points of, you know, did this guy do a terrible thing? Did this guy end up being the right guy for her? Those things didn't change. But I think the shading of who they were as characters got more and more complicated. And that's why, you know, it takes so long to write a book because you're writing draft after draft and you're learning new things every time that you go back to it. And I know those guys that you were just talking about. I know which ones you were saying. And I want to like blurt it from the mountaintops of, of oh I know who that is yeah, I know I know exactly who you're talking about um, but yeah because there are twists and turns just like any bachelor or bachelorette season we have twists and turns we have people back home we have people that um, you know might not be there for the wrong reasons people that are interested in being on possible spinoff shows of the franchise and yeah I mean it's 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 really it's really a fun look at this show but from a perspective of a plus size person that we just don't see uh, in the franchise. Does, is there anything when you were writing the book that you were like, you originally had in and said, no, taking that out, I don't think that's a good idea or something along those lines? Um, I don't think so. I'm trying to think. I can't think of anything. You know, there were some things that were just, <laughs> this is, I've told you this already, so this isn't going to be a surprise to you, but Reality Stefan actually used to be a bigger character in the book. Damn and it. there were, uh, <laughs> no, there's, you know, the, there's the one little reference that's in there, which by the way, is the number one thing that readers who are like, there are so many Easter eggs. There's even a Reality Stefan, people yeah. tell me all the time. And I'm like, there are like 50 Easter eggs in there, but that's everybody's favorite. Yeah. Um, But so, like, I had it where he was a little more of, like, a nemesis character for the producer. And it was just, like, really a running joke. And then, you know, he writes a blog post about her and she's really upset about it and whatever. And there, so there were, like, little things like that that ultimately 
there's so much story in the book because basically I've written an entire season of television in one novel, right? So there's just yeah. so much to get through in terms of all her different relationships and all the episodes and what happens um, that we had to lose some of those sort of minor plot lines that were maybe uh, just very enjoyable for me to write. But ultimately, if we couldn't have like a 700 page book. Well, there's always possibilities for sequels to this because... You know, this is a this is a this is a book about, like you said, covers one season of a reality television show where clearly there could be winners and losers. And then people that maybe beat and end up with end up getting their own. They're on the next season of Main Squeeze and people have asked, like, you know, I'm interested. Is there a possible sequel coming with the characters of this book um, in the future or is it something that you haven't even thought of yet? Um, I think never say never. Uh, the re- I, I would say the thing I was most interested in writing in this book was B's story. And I think B's story is pretty well complete at the end of the book. But the fact that people have loved it so much and that I do get this question all the time of, will you write more seasons? Will there be another season? Um, you know, and it wouldn't necessarily have to be a book. Maybe it's something we could see on television. Who's to say? Yeah. So I think, you know, the more that people love the book and buy the book and talk about the book, the, the bigger the odds are that there will be more to do with it yeah well the, the just the idea of one to watch becoming a 10 flip 10 10 episode series on netflix isn't far-fetched at all like this could easily be a television show spaced out over eight to ten episodes if somebody wanted to do that i hope i hope it does get made into a television show that'd be great for you um i mean from your mouth to god's ears yeah um but yeah i think it's i think it's something clearly to look into i don't know it's weird because i don't know like i said i don't know much about the literary world in terms of books because I, I don't read books and it just sounds horrible that I don't read books but um, I I don't know how it works in terms of do you have to have a X amount of I don't know book sales to even consider writing a sequel do you have to just want to write a sequel do you ha- how does it work um, I think it, dep- it would depend on every author and the specifics of their deal but I think it first and foremost um a nice thing about the publishing world is it it's about, you know, the author and their creativity and what's inspiring to them and what they want to write. Because, you know, if you think about it, I, when I decide what I'm writing next, I'm really choosing how I'm going to spend the next two or three years of my life, right? So that's a big decision. Um, so, you know, you're talking with your editor and your agent and the various other players involved to decide, okay, obviously, we're interested in, in knowing, you know, if there's a market for something that, you know, can tip the decision, but ultimately it has to be about you choosing the way you're going to spend your time. Because if you're writing something you don't want to be writing, that's going to show up in the pages, I think. Yeah. And I think um, when we did talk on the Zoom call, you said that you, you, you had ideas for a possible sequel if you decide to go down that road. Um, there, there are already ideas floating around in your head, right? Yeah. You know, it's when you spend so much time with characters the kind of the more time you spend writing them, the more obvious it sort of becomes, oh, here's what they would do in this situation. Here's what they would do in that situation. And sort of, you know, when quarantine happened, I was thinking, oh, where would everybody everybody be right now? And I was like, oh, I know exactly where everybody would be (laughs) right now. Um, So it becomes, you know, as they start to take on a life of their own, it's like, oh, sure, I could see what would happen to them next. Well, is there anything... I'm trying to think of... It's tough because I don't want to spoil the book. <laughs> um, I, I, I maybe have asked this. Well, we could do like a spoiler section if you wanted, like a you know. Okay, you know what? I want to because I, I I think a lot of people that are listening to this probably have read the book. So this first thirty minutes, uh, for those of you that read it, um, I, I you probably know a lot of the references that that Kate has been making and I have been making, but uh, I do want to talk about some specifics. So this next half, if you have not read the book and you don't want to know spoilers about it, um, I would suggest just muting or fast forwarding to the end, but I do want to talk spoilers uh, from the book. So let's do it. All right, let's do it. When you talked about Nick Vile earlier, you were talking about Luke, right? (laughs) I I was actually talking about Asher. Oh, I thought you were talking about, wait, Oh, I didn't see. I didn't. I only didn't. I didn't link Asher to Nick Vile only because Asher had kids. So I didn't. I didn't put. I didn't. I, yeah, the way the way Nick sort of, you know, I think 
in the old days, everybody had a job, but Nick was sort of like on the precipice of like when no one on the show has a job anymore. Um, but he like in the beginning, like he was from Chicago, he had a real job. He was a successful career guy and he was kind of like, what am I doing here? Um, but he also, it was like sort of a push pull with him of like, does he actually want to be on this show? And then of course, by the end, it was very clear to us that he wanted to be on many seasons of the show. Um, but uh, that that sort of push pull of what am I actually doing here? Do I want to be here? I love that for the Asher character. See, I thought I thought I was relating Nick to Luke because of just how he was like this sexual Lothario, and that's that was Nick on Kate, and that was Nick on Caitlyn season, and that was Nick just like just sleeping with women. And I'm just like, and Luke was in the book like she couldn't get a read on this. Is this is this guy for real? Like is this guy just feeding me a bunch of lines? But that's why I was thinking. Oh, that's got to be Nick. Okay. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, so we talk, we talk about possibly writing a sequel. You had said, I, and I think even on the Zoom call, that a lot of people were, um, were fired up about you possibly writing um, a sequel to, and why, God, why, why am I blanking on his name? But, uh, Sam. Sam. Um, that you were, that you said, yeah, I, you know, I've got some ideas for a Sam as the lead for Main Squeeze, because then it allows you to write off to write Sam as a main squeeze and then go back into all the kind of themes that we've seen about the female contestants on this show, the crier, mm. the, o- the over drinker. I'm sure you could come up with great characters for a season of Sam being the main yeah. squeeze. That's an interesting idea. And I will say, you know, also in the book, we make reference to a show called main squeeze mansion, which yeah. is sort of like, the bachelor pad or bachelor in paradise. Um, and I think something like that might be really interesting because then we could get to see some women from Sam's season, but also some men from B's season. So I think there are a lot of opportunities, you know, you can do a little jump ahead in time or a move back in time and, and sort of see what's going on with everybody. Yeah, no, I think it was uh, an interesting, an interesting look at it. And when you mentioned it on the zoom call, there, there, the possibilities are really endless because if you did do a one to watch part two, which would be the next season of main squeeze with Sam as the lead character. You have to think of another 15 or so female contestants that you want to write for and come up with their and compare them to former female contestants on this show. Like the, the, the overly emotional one, the one that isn't there to make friends, the one who gets drunk on the first night. Like there's so many ways you can go in the way you wrote these male characters. So easy to, uh, uh, I, I, I mean, I say easy. I'm not a writer, but uh, a book writer. But yeah, I, it seems like you'd be excellent at coming up with ways to um, think of women on the show. And then just Sam, the character, the character of Sam himself was really interesting because when I was reading it, I guess when you first presented us with guys from the show, I never saw Sam getting to the end ever. Like what made you bring Sam to the end? So I think with Sam, and I think in a lot of romances, there's a character who he just seems perfect in a lot of ways. And he's sweet and he's lovely and he just wants what's best for the female protagonist. Um, and, And everything with them is really easy. And often in stories like that, the woman just has to get over her own shit so that she can just let herself be with the really easy guy. Um, And I think that that's not really how dating tends to work usually. Like, I don't know. I've never been with a guy who I'm like, Oh, you're so perfect. And if I could just deal with my emotional problems, I could let myself be with you, you perfect man. Um, And so Sam was kind of there. Obviously he's his own character and he has a lot of his own complex stuff going on. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that that maybe if Sam's comparable to anyone, it's Melissa from Jason's season of like, you know, this is the person who on paper is the person I should be with. But at the end of the day, I'm in love with somebody else and you can't choose who you fall in love with. And I really, I loved that moment for B of realizing, you know, she's gone the whole season being like, I just don't want to end up alone. I just don't want to end up alone. I need people to see me as someone who could have a boyfriend or a fiance. And then at the end for her to say, actually, that isn't what matters at all. What matters is that I'm with someone who I'm actually in love with. Um, So that was, that was fun for me to be able to get her to that point. So what ultimately made you have her end up with Asher? Why did you think that being Asher's connection was the best one and why write it the way you did where she doesn't, choose ash or you know asher um eliminated himself right or she didn't <laughs> what, what was it again i'm sorry i'm blanking what, ha- what happened with he, asher? Uh, 
he leaves when Ray shows up and after that's, her, oh, that's right, it's, that's right. it's and after she's slept with Luke. Um, so with Asher, you know, I sort of from the beginning knew that he was the character I was writing to end up with B. And I sort of one of my things that I do is he's the only man who you see in every single episode up until when he leaves, um, which is sort of a thing that the producers of the show do as well, that whoever the, you know, is going to win the season is often in every single episode. And that's how you can tell earlier on if you don't read reality Steve's blog. Um, <laughs> and so with Asher, but I didn't, again, I, it couldn't be too easy, right? And he's the character who the more I wrote him, the more I realized, like, oh, he's actually quite an insecure and jealous person. And this show is going to be hell for him. It is going to be so awful for him to see this woman that he's falling in love with be with all these other men. And ultimately, he's not going to be able to do it, right? Like, that he is capable of falling in love with B and being an amazing partner for her and the right partner for her. But he's not capable of doing it in the context of this show. So if the main question of the book is, what does it look like to fall in love on national television? Is it possible? I think for some people, yes. And for B, she learns for herself that she can do it. And Asher learns for himself that he can't do it. So for someone who came in kind of thinking, I'm too good for this show, what he kind of learns is I wasn't actually emotionally mature enough for this show, um, which I think is a good little, uh, you know, crossing of the arcs for the two of them. And once they have both completed their respective emotional journeys, then they get to be together. One character that uh, I had talked about with Ashley on my live last week, two days before the Zoom, I had just started the book. I was 50 pages in and I told Ashley, I said, look, Ashley, I don't want to know anything about it because we're doing the Zoom in two days. I will finish the book by then. But Ray's going to play a role in this. He's going to come back and she's going to end up with Ray. I That was my prediction based 50 pages in. I was like, she's bringing up Ray too much. She keeps bringing up the fact that B cannot get over this guy. He's going to play a role. And then as I'm reading, I keep seeing you constantly referencing Ray and how she felt about when Ray touched her and when, when Ray kissed her. I'm like, okay, he's coming. He's coming in. The, he's coming back. I know he is. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and then I immediately thought, oh, the second he comes back, she's picking him. And you did a great job of explaining, because I didn't understand why she didn't take him. But then the way you wrote it out, I was like, okay, this makes sense. This guy's only there when he wants to be, he's only there for her when he wants to be there for her. And she actually saw that. Now, did I think that she would be strong enough to say that to him after her friend Marion tells her that that's what's going on with Ray. That's the way he treats you. I don't know. I didn't think she would. I think she would disregard her friend and I still thought she was going to go with Ray, but that's the way you decided to go with that. So I thought that was very well written because you had me fooled. I thought the second Ray came back on the show, she was ending up with Ray. Oh, man. And when you said that on the live, my editor and I were like, King of Spoilers, we got him. (laughs) (laughs) We got him. But um, yeah, no, I think, you know, and in my life and in the life of every female friend I've ever had, you know, we have all at one time or another fallen for a guy who we just think hung the moon and who ultimately was not that good of a dude. And your friends try to tell you and they try to make you see it, but it's really hard when you're in love with someone to see that maybe they're not actually that good of a person. And maybe the reason that you're upset all the time isn't because of you, it's because of them. Um, So writing Ray for me, that is some of the hardest stuff for for me to write personally, just because I've been there. So many of my friends have been there. Um, But I think ultimately, like, we wouldn't be satisfied with B's ending if she wasn't able to overcome sort of her feelings for this problematic person in her life and understand how she and like her own role in it, right? Why, why this was so appealing for her, this guy who was never good to her, who was never, you know, sort of love her the way she wanted or deserved to be loved. Why was that appealing to her? And ultimately it was because of her, her insecurities and, and her own sort of lack of confidence in being able to say and fight for what she wanted. So once she's able to kind of overcome all of those things, then she can say, okay, now I can go and ask for what I actually want and ultimately get it. Yeah, it was a great twist. Had me completely fooled. Uh, all I knew was this guy's playing a role at some point later on in the book. He's coming back, and she's going to end up with him. And he did come back. Uh, he comes back at the end, uh, causes Asher to leave, and then it's a, a Ray and Sam finale. And 
I didn't think she was going to choose neither either. I thought that she would. I Who did Nate, you think she was going to pick? Oh, Ray. I totally thought she was going to pick Ray. And I thought wow. it was good. And then I thought it was going to end up with them. Like, I didn't. The other thing I was doing was <laughs> feeling how many pages I had left in the book. Because I, you know, I was reading <laughs> it. I wasn't reading it on a Kindle. I was reading the actual book. So that also was like, wait a second. There's more coming because there's too thick of pages here for this to be. Um, just over. I I I like. I was like, she's she's got to be covering post show stuff that's going on. And oh yeah, we got to do after the final road. Yeah, I mean, how can we not do AFR? Yeah, I was just. I was still <laughs> like, I, even when even when she didn't pick Sam or Ray at the end, I felt that there were still thick enough pages to where it was like, okay, she still might have. I thought she was gonna have a change. Asher came out of nowhere for me. Is what I'm saying. I thought it was really? going to be a change of heart of Ray. I thought it was going to be something like that. Like Ray realizes the way he's been with her and he admits that she was right about him and give me a chance or something like that. And I, I for some reason, I guess I thought she was going to take Ray back on the after the final rose. I think that's what I was thinking when I was reading the book. Pretty sure. Yeah. I, Asher, wow, came out of, that's amazing. Asher, Asher came out of left field for me. I did not see that. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Um, well, I'm glad to have <laughs> manufactured a good twist there. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great little twist at the end, and I think even on the Zoom call last night with uh, with, the, with the other night with a lot of the women that were on it, they loved the fact that she ended up with Asher, and it it made all the sense in the world to them, and they were happy with it. So you pleased a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, listen, one of the reasons I've been excited for Claire's season is because it's, you know, when you hit your 30s, you're kind of looking for different stuff in a relationship. And I think, you know, especially with Peter's season where everyone was so young and it was just like, oh, okay, guys, okay. But, you know, to see someone who's out there who's really looking for an adult relationship, which means it is going to be complicated. And like, yeah, he has kids and he has a job and maybe it conflicts with her job and he has his own baggage and she has her own baggage. Right. And I think that we all get that, like, that's always going to be the case. It's never going to be a fairy tale. It's always going to be messy and complicated because people are messy and complicated. But that ultimately, with the person you love, you figure out a way to make it work anyway. Well, for those of you that listened to the first 30 minutes and did not listen to the last 15, um, I could tell you right now, go get the book. It's called One to Watch by Kate Stamen London. It is uh, if you're a fan of the franchise, it's it's a book that you can't not like. Uh, clearly, if you've um, already purchased the book, good on you. Uh, that certainly helped, Kate. <laughs> um, uh, I I think this is. I really hope that this ends up being a New York Times bestseller. If it isn't already, I don't know. Is is it? Has it been named? We are we're we're a USA Today bestseller. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I know Ashley Spivey was the one that turned me on to this. Ashley's book club has been huge to a lot of my listeners and a lot of my readers. They love her stuff. She's been promoting the hell out of this book uh, for the last month or so. She's the one that turned me on to this. Um, but Kate, uh, doing the zoom call with you the other night was great doing this podcast even better because I got to get to dive in a little bit, uh, even a little bit more, uh, to everything that you wrote and possible sequels, possible TV shows where we'll be, I mean, on, we'll be watching. Maybe reality Stefan could be the next main squeeze. Who's to I, say? I think that would be a brilliant idea and any, and I would like any sort of consulting credit, anything you want to talk about. <laughs> uh, totally. Who I, what, what type of people that I like, who I would like as my bachelorettes by all means run anything by me. Absolutely. We'll get the whole producer <laughs> team in there. Uh, but Kate, thank you so much uh, for doing this. I really appreciate it. And uh, we will definitely, like I said, if you haven't purchased it, one to watch, you can get it on where, where, where you buy any books, bookstore, Amazon. I'll put the link to it on the site. And, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. I, I appreciate it. And uh, good luck with everything in the future. Thank you so much. Total pleasure. You got it. Thanks, Kate. Thank you so much to Kate for coming on. Really appreciate that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was like a month ago, I had the Back to the Future author on, Brad um, – Sorry, what was his name? Oh, Brad Gilmore. I want to call him Brad Gilbert, who's a tennis coach. Uh, Brad Gilmore, who came on to talk about his Back to the Future book. And this one, like I said, not much of a reader, but um, when it comes to a book all about parodying the Bachelor, Bachelorette franchise, yeah, I was going to read it. Ashley Spivey told me to, said it was great. Like I said, I finished it in about four hours and um, just a really good read and really makes you think about things because this is a show that we would 
we have never seen, and we don't know if we will ever see in the Bachelor franchise, if they would really ever put a lead as a the lead being a plus-size person. Hell, it'd be nice if the lead was a size 10. I don't even know. Um, I'm not great with sizes, but have we ever had a lead, female lead that was a size 10? I don't know. Doesn't I don't think so, but I could be wrong. But I'm talking about, uh, yeah, and this, what'd she say? Size 22 is what she basically may be out to be. We've definitely never seen it up to this point. Who knows if we ever will in the future, but it was great talking to her about that. I hope you all enjoyed that. If you haven't read the book, go get it. It's worth it. Coming from a guy who doesn't read books. And if you have read it, I hope you enjoyed the discussion and her motivations behind the characters and stuff like that. So I also want to uh, kind of talk about you know, like I said, I, I previewed it at the beginning of the podcast, but yeah, we've got a big guest next week, assuming everything goes well and I record on Tuesday. You're going to want to hear this one. This is going to be interesting. And um, yeah, I don't want to tease it any further, guy or girl, anything like that, uh, because I just don't like jinxing, jinxing stuff like that. But you will, trust me, be interested in listening to this one as I know I am as interested in talking to this person and kind of getting to the bottom of some of the things that I had said about them over the years. So curious to see how this goes. That'll be next week. And please, um, you know, keep it on my Instagram, keep it on my Twitter for any uh, updates and also rate, subscribe and review and Apple podcasts. It's much appreciated working on a few things for the podcast coming up. Hopefully they come through. I will update you them accordingly. And, uh, yeah, we'll just keep going here. And I know that it's a shit show in Bachelorette and everyone wants to know what's going on every minute of the day, but you're just, nobody has any definitive answers. It's all kind of speculation at this point. So, um, when I get definitive answers, I give them to you. I don't have anything definitive yet. That's why I've just been kind of throwing stuff out there of things that I think it may be and things like what the motivation behind why they're doing certain things. Um, that's all I can do at this point, but I definitely think by the time the first episode airs of this season, you're going to know what happened and you're going to know what happened because I told you so I have a, I'm, I'm confident that I'll be able to get stuff eventually. I just don't know when anyway, thank you all uh, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Kate uh, for coming on. Go get the book one to watch. I have the link on my site on amazon.com uh, through amazon.com. You could purchase it straight off there. Yeah, I hope you all enjoyed that interview. So, for Kate Stamen London, I am Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in to Podcast 194, and I will talk to you next week. See you!